This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 14. Episode 50. This is Running Excuses. Write what you know. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Margaret. I'm Howard. And this is an f- age-old adage in writing circles. Write what you know. Um, you may Can have I, been taught I just it. say write what you nope? Yes. <laughs> um, you may have been taught it before. It's kind of confusing. The first time I heard it, I'm like, wait, so I can't write fantasy or— what do you guys think of this adage? So I agree that this is one of the things that is often wildly misunderstood. The The idea behind the original is that there are things that you know that you can tap into. You know what it's like to be afraid. You, you've had these different experiences in your life. And if you tap into those and write from your own personal experience, you're going to have a story that's rich in texture. Uh, the the thing that I often say for for fantasy people is extrapolate from what you know. Yeah, yeah that's a that's a good suggestion. A phrasing I heard of it once uh, from Alex Chadwick at a uh, conference on narrative and nonfiction, and he said, "Write what you know is true." Mm-hmm. And you know, there there's some some unpacking around that, but I think that really it speaks to that same grain of truth of you don't have to write your own literal experience. And I'm not necessarily giving advice to journalists with this, but as a fiction writer, <laughs> you can write from your own experience. And if that is grounded, then that will ground your story, no matter how fantastical you get from there. Yeah, for journalists, it's write what you've verified with an additional source. Yes. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the, it, in early in Schlock Mercenary, I hadn't done a whole lot of research with military folk yet, mm-hmm. but I was fresh out of a very unhealthy corporate environment where, and I've talked about this principle before, uh, position power was being substituted for personal power. You know, I am your boss, therefore you must like me. Mm-hmm. Um, all the time, all over, it was very top down and and I was familiar with, with how that worked and how it was broken. And I just sort of built the personalities of my mercenaries in that manner and got email from people saying, were you and I in the same unit? Because I swear you've described, you've described my, you know, my lieutenant mm-hmm. or my captain. Um, and I found that very flattering because what it said to me is, uh, I know enough about about broken people to have correctly described one that I've never met. One of the things that uh, that when I think about write what you know, I get actually really conflicted because I like some of the sentiment that this phrase is telling you. Um, And, but then I go the rounds. If I kind of look at fantasy novels, there's a big part of me that thinks if you're going to write in a genre, you should familiarize yourself with this genre. You should know the conventions of the genre, and you should become part of the discussion. There's another smaller part of it that says, yeah, but people who have none of that baggage, 
sometimes create things that are just wildly new and um, completely, you know, off the, the beaten path and doing something very interesting with the genre. And so you can see I kind of like it, the two different sides of me fight about this pretty often. I think one of the the questions there is like, where is the line between what you know and what you love? And so I think that when people are writing something that, and they're coming to science fiction and fantasy from outside the genre, they're still chasing the thing that they love and they're still writing the thing that they know. They're just adding this unfamiliar to it, which is the same thing that we do in genre. We are writing something that we love and we're always trying, you know, we talk about this all the time on the podcast, the familiar and the strange. It's just that for us, the genre is the familiar, and the and that is us writing what we know, and then we add other things that we don't know onto it. So I feel like it's it's two sides of the same coin. Yeah. How do you guys incorporate who you are into the settings that you're building? Uh, I, you know I think that's, it's hard that's not to. Yeah, that, that is a that is a question that will be very uh, specifically answered in great detail when I'm no longer around to defend myself <laughs> because I remain, I remain uh, unaware of an unknown number of my biases that creep into my work in ways that I cannot see, hear, smell, taste, touch, whatever. Um, I like to think that I'm aware of how I'm influencing these things, but there is a, there is a voice up in the nosebleed seats that says, Expect to be wrong, but don't worry because you'll be dead before anybody really points it out in detail. Yeah. When at a at a slightly, you know, a slightly more literal level, I know my first published short published short story, uh, Jane, was in Shimmer magazine. And this is a story about a uh a paramedic who winds up at the center of a zombie apocalypse, but really it's about her relationship with her foster mother. And I have her walking in the streets of Los Angeles, and she absolutely lived in the first apartment that I lived in in L.A. Even it's like and it was boring to me, but I'm like, only one other person has ever lived in that apartment with me. And so it's like walking up the street. If you are familiar with the street when I lived there, the empty lot that's there was absolutely there. You know, she's she's fictional. The dog is fictional. Like, I don't know much about zombies, but I can root it into Los Angeles that I've walked the streets of and I've heard the traffic and I understand it. I think the thing that you said in there that I really want to underline for the readers about why write what you know actually works is it's boring to me. But the experience that you have as a person is is individual and it is not an experience that other people have. It's why y'all get so excited every time I break out the puppetry stuff. When I'm in puppetry communities, it's like, they're like, oh, that thing went wrong? Let me one-up you with this. It's like, <laughs> this is, it's all old hat to us. But when I come over to to writing, to to prose, it's a, it's a novel and fresh way to look at things. And so one of the things that, you know, to get back to your question about how to put how to put yourself in there, is that you act as a filter for everything that you're writing. We get asked all the time, where do the ideas come from? And, you know, we also always say they're all around you. But what you're doing as a writer is that you're filtering it through your own experience. And so I think for me, one of the things with the the 
the, the parts of the right, what you know that is true is to, to trust your taste and to trust your own experience and to trust that it is interesting to other people. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh, let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week, which, Mary, you have. Yes. So this is Armistice by Lara Elena Donnelly. I was the audiobook narrator for this, and it's the sequel to um, Amberlo, which I raved about previously. This is such a strong book. Um, it follows on the heels of Amberlo, which is basically, it feels like it's the Weimar Republic. And here we have uh, three of the um, view, or two of the viewpoint characters that we had in the previous book, plus a new one. And so we've got two people that we're familiar with, and they have moved, they, ha they are refugees now in another country. So what you're getting there is a lot of the um, the outsider OMG what's going on, but you can still see uh, see Lara's voice coming through even though this is in a totally new place and and also the the characters and their interactions are all informed by where they have been by their past. You, I think that honestly you could read this book without having read it, the first one, but the the emotional resonance between the two books is so powerful if you read them sequentially that I, I'm recommending Armistice, but if you have not read Amberlo, pick up Amberlo, then read Armistice. All right. So kind of I want to push on this theme a little bit further because I think this is really interesting. Uh, a lot of times when I'm talking to my students um, and working with them at the university course, this is something that they completely miss. Um, this idea that something that they are really passionate about can make a much better story than trying to, in some ways, write something patterned after what you've seen before. Write something, mm -hmm. yeah. write something bigger than they could ever right. be. Or just is... more bland, really. Yes. Right? <laughs> that's, that's the thing. They, people don't trust themselves that what they're passionate about is going to translate in the stories. And I really do think if you are really excited and passionate about something, that's going to help you make a better story. Absolutely. Now, there is a danger there in the kind of waxing too long about a topic or going too deep into jargon um, or things like this, kind of losing track of a story because you're too busy writing about, you know, the ins and outs of breeding rabbits, which are really interesting to you. How can you balance this? Uh, for me, it's emotional touchstones. Yeah. And I'm going to share a very personal example. In 2006, I separated my shoulder and was prescribed Lortab and ended up addicted to it. Uh, the addiction was not one where I was 
you know, stealing in order to illegally obtain pills. It was one in which I now had a dependency that was controlling me instead of me controlling it. Um, we went off of Lortab, and when I say we, it was Sandra removing it from the house and shepherding me through the process of living without this stuff. For two years after that, if you said the word Lortab, I wanted to cry because I knew that this was a thing that would relax me, that would make me kind of happy, and I absolutely could not have it. And that experience was incredibly alien to everything else about me. You could say a word and and it would hurt me. That knowledge, I can I can use that mm-hmm. as a writer. Uh, in 2018, I uh, injured my arm in a different way, and the doctor uh, doctor said, "Well, you know, we we don't know what's wrong yet, but uh, uh, you know, maybe ibuprofen, or we can get you some hydrocodone." I know what hydrocodone means, and that 12 year old addiction came back all at once, and I almost broke down in the doctor's office. And now I have this understanding of how when an addict says, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not no longer an addict, I'm just not using, you know, I'm always an addict. I have an understanding of that. I don't need to write a story about someone who separates his shoulder and then has a, a blood pressure problem. I can write a story about somebody who has lost a loved one and thinks they're over it and 15 years later stumbles across a photograph and discovers that they're not. When I think write what you know, that's a thing that I know. It's a great example. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, the less personal example, but all puppets all the time, which is what I do, um, is... Uh, we talk about about voice and things like this, and I've I've talked about this when 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 we were talking about the voice podcasts uh, that there's there's three things uh, when we're talking about puppetry the style of puppet it's the mechanical style the aesthetic style or the personal style and the mechanic style is you know what kind of puppet is it and the the aesthetic style is what does it look like does it look like a muppet. Does it, you know, look like it's hand-carved? And the personal style is you can hand the same puppet to two puppeteers and it will look like a different character. And it's because of the the individual taste of the performer. Jim Henson, if you look at anything else that he did that is not Muppets, like, was much more in the Dada, surreal, experimental land of filmmaking. Steve Whitmire, who initially took over Kermit, um, was much more of a linear storyteller. And so they're going to just make different choices. And this is the kind of thing that we're talking about with write what you know. It's like when when we're saying trust yourself, trust your own instincts, it's it, these things will allow you to create something that is special and unique. And when you're you're taking something that's deeply personal, like what Howard experienced, you're going to explore that in ways that are different from someone else who has that. It's going to allow you to bring an honesty to your work when you're you're reaching for things that you know. When And this is why also when we, in the larger picture, when we're talking about uh, 
the uh, the hashtag own voices, which is the importance of reading fiction and supporting fiction written by people from a lived experience, writing about their lived experience. Th- the reason is because that lived experience is going to inform that fiction, and and when you when you sit there and say, oh, but but my my world is boring, my world is is normal. Mm-hmm. What you're also doing is you're setting yourself. First of all, you're devaluing yourself. Right. Um, But you're also kind of setting yourself up as the default, Mm -hmm. as the dominant, um, and exoticizing everybody else. And that is also a problem. And this is not to say that you're not allowed to write other people. That's not, you know, it's not that you're never, it's like, I am totally allowed to write people who are not a, let's see, when this podcast airs, uh, not a 50-year-old white woman, but... uh, Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that I'm, already, I'm already a 50-year-old white man as so, of this recording, so yeah, yeah, have yeah. fun with it. Thanks. <laughs> I'm actually really looking forward to it, uh, to be honest. Um, but uh, but the point being that that I'm allowed to write other characters. I'm allowed to do these other things. But when we talk about write what you know, there's two aspects of that. One is that my work should be influenced by what I know. And the other thing is that my work will be influenced by mm-hmm. what I know, whether I want it to or not. And I have to be aware of that when I go into stuff. Yeah. I think the other thing that strikes me about, I think probably the first time I heard Write What You Know, I was you know maybe a second grader. It was like one of those... You came across an elementary school at some point. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, because it's sort of, you get told that as a child, and it's like, what do I know? And what you know is not set in stone. And one of, I think, the charge inherent in write what you know is expand your knowledge. Know more. Yeah. The, the other thing that I'm going to say is, um, especially if you are tackling something that is very difficult, it is totally okay to put everything else to the easy setting. Um, if you are, if you're, especially if you're an early career writer and you're like, I am trying to get a handle on plot, don't try to get a handle on writing the other at the same time you're trying to get a handle on writing plot. With Calculating Stars, I knew that I was going to be having to handle mathematics and orbital mechanics and all of these other things, Judaism, uh, which don't know if you noticed, been raised Southern Baptist and Methodist. Really, this is not, I was handling all of those things. So I set Elma to a Southern woman. I gave her a mother that's very much like my mother, that relationship. I gave her a marriage that's very much like my marriage. I set everything I could to what I really know to give myself room to work on and concentrate on the things that I don't know. And even there, I was extrapolating from what I knew. <laughs> and you decided to tackle this project when you were already pretty comfortable with go- with what goes into writing a novel. Right. That's true. Yeah, that's yeah. the other aspect. Well, I'm going to have to wrap us up here. This is kind of a sad moment because Aww. this is us saying goodbye to Margaret. Not forever. <laughs> um, but uh, this is our last podcast with Margaret. So we're going to let her give the homework this week. All right. So the homework assignment this week, we want you to take an area that you are super familiar with and turn that 
into a superpower. The same way Mary talked about how we all think her puppet stuff is completely cool, the way that my background as a screenwriter has made me a structural god among novelists. <laughs> this is <Yep>. this <laughs> is true. Accurate. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> Find something in your life that you maybe don't think is all that interesting and make it the coolest thing on the planet. This has been Writing Excuses. Thank you, Margaret, for hosting with us this year. You all are out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.